Well, Happy New Year, and uh, thank you for joining us today uh, here at Door Creek Church. My name is Mark, one of the pastors here. And so for those of you that are a guest, maybe you're checking us out for the first time, you should know that we have a teaching team. So next week, you're going to hear from one of our campus pastors, the week after from our lead pastor, all as we unpack our new series in January called Hot Takes. Uh, what is Hot Takes? Well, there are critical topics and issues that kind of circumvent navigate our lives throughout the year. We just keep running into them, whether we want to or not. And we just want to know, like, what is Jesus's hot take? Uh, what is his hot take on the subjects like forgiveness, uh, sexuality, uh, politics, uh, heaven and hell? Uh, what truth really is? Uh, because these are all things that as we enter 2022, which is crazy to say, are going to uh, impact us in some way, shape, or form. And so what better way to start the year than to just know what Jesus's hot take is on these issues. And so today, the hot take is forgiveness. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, some of us just may want to write this off and go, oh man, okay, we know we're supposed to forgive. Oh, what are we going to talk about? Others of you, maybe you're just squirming a little bit because you know, uh, I really don't want to talk about this. When it comes to forgiveness, a lot of us know what it's like to give lip service, to, to tell someone that you forgive them but I wonder how many of us know what it truly feels like to experience forgiving someone, at least in the way that the Bible describes specifically how Jesus says we are to forgive one another. And, and we're, we wrestle with these questions around forgiveness. Well, why do I have to forgive? Uh, if, if they don't repent, if they're not sorry, do I have to forgive? What if they're no longer here? Do, do I have to forgive them? I've forgotten about it. Do I have to forgive what I've forgotten about it? Isn't there some kind of like uh, general time clause where after a certain amount of years uh, go by, it, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's water under the bridge. I would imagine that all of us have a situation in our life or near our life and proximity with those that we do life with where forgiveness is actually a very critical issue. And hopefully today, as we open the scriptures specifically to what Jesus has to say about forgiveness, we can start this year with a brand new perspective and maybe even a new heart posture that will help us experience joy in a way that we hadn't thought possible. So where are we going uh, today as we open the scriptures and see what Jesus has to say? We're going to go to the gospel of Matthew. So uh, for those of you that are new, it's the very first book in what we call the New Testament. If you have a digital Bible, it's actually really easy to find. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, we know that this is going on. Jesus is talking about humility and he's talking about uh, how to interact uh, with each other. And in fact, uh, the verses leading up to the scripture we're going to talk about, he talks about how, how to deal with someone uh, who has wronged you. And this classic uh, 
scripture in the Bible that we use for, for reconciliation, uh, which says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. It says they don't listen, then bring a friend. And, uh, you know, if, if after bringing a friend, they don't listen, uh, then, then bring it to the church. And it's after unpacking how to confront someone, this accountability that Peter, that we're going to pick up today, asks Jesus this simple question. Verse 21, read this with me. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, you see, Peter, just simple question up to seven times. What's important about seven? Well, it was actually very common uh, for them to only forgive three times. Why? Well, that's what the rabbis would teach. It was a uh, rabbinic teaching that you only had to forgive three times. Those are, those are the only requirement. You had to forgive the first three times. After that, you didn't have to forgive. So Peter just being the overzealous and wanting to, to overdo it. He says, I got this. All right, we'll double the three. We'll add the one as a bonus. And uh, Jesus, what are we supposed to forgive? Seven times. We just talked about what to do. If someone wrongs us, we go and confront them. How many times are we supposed to forgive the person that's wrong us? What up to seven times? Jesus says, no, 77 times. Now, for those of you that are about to geek out because you love Excel documents and the thought of having a spreadsheet for every person in your life is exciting to you, that is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying there is no limit to forgiveness. There is no number. And he dives into this parable that we know as the unmerciful servant. Let's read it together. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So as he began to settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything the servant's master took pity on him, canceled his debt, and let him go. This is the first movement. There's three movements in this parable. This is the first movement of the parable. Jesus says, kingdom of heaven is like a king. He, he wants to settle these accounts. Now, there's been some great scholarly work done to actually tell us, like, today's value of that amount of gold, 10,000 bags of gold, it's a lot. I'm not going to tell you what some of that work is because that's not what Jesus wants us to understand. What Jesus wants us to understand is that this is an overwhelming debt. That this is a debt so big and so great, it will cost him not just his livelihood, but it will cost him his family as well. Now, some of you, you may be in financial debt. Some of you, you, by God's grace, are out of financial debt and you can understand just a, a piece of what that overwhelming feeling is. Other of us, others of us may look at this and go, that's a bit inhumane and, and barbaric, isn't it? That, that, that he would take his wife and his children 
and they would sell them to, to repay the debt. All they had to be sold to repay the debt. And yet, as Jesus is sharing this parable, those who are listening, this isn't a far stretch of the imagination. Most of them either know somebody personally or know of someone who's been in this situation. When there is an account to be settled, the king in this context has every legal right to settle it as he sees fit. But that's not what he does. Why? Because the servant begs, he says, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. And this pity, we can see it as compassion. He took compassion on him. He showed him mercy. Cancel the debt and let him go. And this word canceled is easy to just read right over because it's also translated forgiven. Forgiven. He forgave his debt. And, and the Greek word that is translated, this literally means to, to set aside, to dismiss. He forgave his debt and let him go. And what is Jesus doing right away in this parable? What he's saying is, look, I'm telling you that you need to go hold your brothers and sisters accountable. And then you ask how many times you're supposed to forgive them. And I'm telling you, there's no limit uh, uh, to how many times you're supposed to forgive them. And I just want to let you know, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, this is what forgiveness looks like. And he's not pulling any punches because what he's really talking about is his relationship with you and I. His relationship with you and I. Paul helps us understand this in uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 23 and uh, 24, uh, which simply say this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have an account that we are unable to settle. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And this is salvation. And Jesus, just in the first movement of this parable, is showing us what true forgiveness looks like. And true forgiveness is the work of Christ on the cross. That we had an account that we could not settle. And God had compassion on us. And he set aside our debt. He forgave us. He canceled it. And, and how did he do that? He replaced that through the work of Jesus Christ. It's important as we move on, how does the rest of this parable go? Some of you already know, uh, starting in verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, right away, he's beginning to just see this comparison. All the gold that the other men owe, this overwhelming amount of debt. And this guy has a totally uh, underwhelming amount of debt. It's, it's attainable. It is, is completely within the realm of possibility to pay this debt off. This servant between servant, friend between friend. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Wow, that escalated quickly. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Doesn't that sound familiar? Literally the same thing that 
uh, he just said to the king, he's being told by his friend who owes him money, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Falling to his knees and begging him, but what happens? Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And it's easy for us at this point in the story to just go, man, this unmerciful servant. Like, how dare he? What is he thinking? He was just forgiven this overwhelming amount of debt and he can't even extend that amount of forgiveness. But often, as is in the time when we read the scriptures, what sometimes seems the most simple penetrates to the deepest part of us. Why was it so hard for him to forgive his friend? Why is it so hard for us to sometimes forgive others? When someone wrongs you, they create an account that needs settled. Uh, You know, in, in the case of financial debt, it's actually really cut and dry. There's a certain amount of money that needs owed. But that's not the kind of debt, the kind of account that needs needs settled that we often live in. The debt that we often live in is a debt that is emotional, a debt that is social, a debt that is, is relational. When we're at work and one of our coworkers just kind of throws us under the bus yeah, later uh, kind of comes and apologizes, but you know that, that uh, your boss was listening or someone else important was around and, and your reputation was damaged because of what they did. And you may say, I, I forgive you, but in your heart, you don't. What do you do? You create an account that needs settled. How do we settle this account? We hold it over them like a, like a, like a tax that we cannot see. And maybe, uh, maybe what it is, is you repay evil with evil. And so you throw them under the bus. Why do you do that? Because that's how they are paying you back. That is how they are settling the account that they have with you. Maybe you watch them go through a very difficult situation that you have the ability to help them with. You have the ability to see them exceed, but instead you purposefully sit back. Why? Because they have an account that needs settled and watching them suffer uh, settles that account in your heart. What about in our close relationships with our friends and with our family? When we're wronged. And what takes place? Bitterness, anger, resentment. And oftentimes the closer the relationship, the deeper the account. And we have no problem watching them suffer because it helps settle this account that they owe us. Or perhaps we make them suffer in some kind of twisted in some kind of twisted way. And this is what happens when anger takes root in our hearts, when bitterness takes root in our hearts. Do you know the Anglo-Saxon word for anger, for for wrath, is the same word that we get the Anglo-Saxon word, uh, is the same word that we get the word wreath from. 
Yeah, like these decorations that we just had all over our buildings, our homes, everywhere that symbolizes this beautiful kind of Christmas wreath. But it actually comes from a word that means twisted and bent out of shape, the same word that we get wrath from. And our relationship just becomes twisted. On the outside, it's all good. But on the inside, we want to make sure that they pay. It's even seen in the most pettiest of ways, like in our marriages, when we give each other the silent treatment. Why do we give each other the silent treatment sometimes? Because you hurt my feelings and this is how you are going to pay your debt to me. I'm going to pretend like you don't exist. It's so petty. But this is what we do because when we are wronged, an account is opened and we must settle this account. And we think we put, we put ourselves in the place of the king and we say, I know how this account must be settled. Sometimes the person is aware of it. Sometimes they have no idea that they are actively involved in your scheme of repaying the debt that they owe you. The reality is if, if we kind of get our head up above the ground and, and look around, we'll see there's actually a lot of science done around forgiveness. There's legitimate clinical studies done around forgiveness and it's proven that there are legitimate health benefits to someone who forgives. I'm not making this up. You can, whether it's WebMD or more thorough research, like did you know that in Madison, we have the International Forgiveness Institute? It's actually a good resource. You should check it out. The International Forgiveness Institute and Dr. Enright has done many, many studies that have shown through clinical research, through case studies, that uh, control groups, et cetera, um, that those who forgive see real health benefits. We're talking about lower cholesterol. We're talking about less stress, less anxiety, less depression, uh, uh, lower uh, the stress hormones that is in our blood. Uh, you can get rid of back pain, uh, stomach uh, pain. Uh, there are so many health benefits that have been proven to come from forgiveness. Uh, maybe that is the reason why you know you should forgive because it's healthy. This is how you live a healthy life. Uh, you can live a healthier life if, if, you, if you forgive. And yet, yet we still hold these accounts against people because we want them to settle it. Uh, we want them to settle the account in a way that is, that is, that is, good, for, that is good for me. Why should I forgive them? They're not even sorry for what they've done. They're going to get away scot-free with this. If I forgive them, it will only encourage them to do it again. And we just spin ourselves into these deep cycles as we maintain accounts that we hold against other people, whether they know it or not. So how does this parable end? Parable ends in his third movement. We're going to pick up in verse 31. It says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, just uh, on a complete side note, I love this verse. I mean, this whole parable is amazing, but I love this verse because it just goes to show you that uh, your sin will find you out. 
that in a day when there was no social media, there was no technology, like we know technology today, like always listening to us, right? People have phones and cameras and recording devices all over the place. Uh, it was uh, a well-known thought that if you're doing something wrong, eventually you will get caught, that your sin will find you out. That is not new. In fact, it is even more prevalent today that, that our sin will find us out. So what happens? They see what's happened. They're outraged. They went and tell their master, what does he do? So verse 32, the master called the servant in and my, how his attitude has changed. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled. I forgave. All that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? And so in anger, and this is a, a righteous anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And what a unique, ironic twist to this story. The servant who has shown mercy was then unmerciful and saw the mercy that he was shown reversed. And Jesus leaves us with this final warning as he just kind of wraps up this teaching. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Jesus tells us that we are supposed to forgive. He tells us in, in each of the gospels, Earlier in the gospel of Matthew, he says, for you, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. He says, forgive other people. In uh, the gospel of Mark, uh, chapter eleven twenty-five, 25, he says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Forgive them. Like standing, worshiping. If you realize as you're worshiping that you are holding something against someone, that you are holding an account against someone right there in that moment, forgive them. Whether or not you talk to them right in that moment or not, forgive them. The gospel of Luke chapter six, verse 37 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Luke 17 verses three through four says, so watch yourselves. For if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive. So why is forgiveness so hard? Why do we have to hold these accounts against other people? Why, why is that what we want to do? Well, there's a reason why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, don't let the root don't let a root of bitterness dwell up within you. Or is it talking about a root? Well, a root of bitterness. <laughs> Meaning some of us, we, we want to forgive and then just kind of forget, right? And so what we do is we jump the gun and we say, I'm just going to forget this. And in the process of forgetting, that is how I forgive. And so like a tree that we want to get rid of, we just cut the tree off and we pull, put some mulch uh, over where the stump was and we say, good to go. But it's not long, is it, with the right weather, the right conditions, when the tree begins to sprout again. Why? Because there's a root there. 
And some of you have pain in your life. You have bitterness in your life. You have anger in your life because while you think you have forgotten, you've just simply forgotten and you haven't done the hard work of forgiving. What is the hard work of forgiving? Jesus says in verse 35, he says, you must forgive from your heart. I was convicted as I was just preparing for this talk because in my own life a couple years ago, the right weather conditions came around and all of a sudden I had this anger and this bitterness uh, just kind of springing up in my heart and I was so caught off guard by it. I was like, what, where is this coming from? I, I've dealt with this, with this person. Why, why am I experiencing this bitterness? Why am I experiencing this anger? And I realized Hebrews 12, 15. I was just quick to the forgetting and I hadn't done the hard work of forgiving. And just to encourage you, I actually went and sought out a Christian counselor to help me through that. And there's going to be some of you that that's actually going to be a really important step that you do that with this in your heart because we can't let the root of bitterness or anger, or resentment. We can't let that root stay in our heart. Because if we do, we'll never truly forgive. So if we can't forgive and forget, how, how do we forget? How, how does that all work? Well, there's a, there's a professor, uh, Dr. Margalat, um, and I totally did not say his name right. And Dr. Margalat, if, if you're watching, which you probably will never see this. Uh, I do apologize. He's a professor emeritus of philosophy at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And in his book, The Ethics of Memory, he writes about forgiveness, specifically from a biblical context as well as from a philosophical context. He talks about forgiving and forgetting, sometimes a phrase that we often use. He says, it's kind of a, a bad phrase to use, isn't it? Forgiving and forgetting, because the more you try to forget something, the more you're just gonna remind yourself of it. So how do we forget something? We forget something by replacing it. And so we do the hard work, we do the deep work to find where those roots are. And sometimes they just keep going and going and going and they take a long time uh, to kind of figure out and what do we replace them with? Well, Dr. Enright, uh, who is uh, kind of leads the International Forgiveness Institute, he helps us understand that in this way, that forgiveness is when you, when you do good to those who are not good to you. So in other words, you, you replace it with goodness, but, but we would say it's not our goodness that we replace it with. We replace it with compassion. We replace it with mercy. This is what the king told the unmerciful servant. Why didn't you repay, uh, sorry, why didn't you replace his debt with mercy like I replaced your debt with mercy? Why didn't you forgive him and replace what he owed you with compassion like I did? And so uh, Dr. Uh, Margalat has this beautiful phrase. He talks about how this is a process. Forgiveness is just such a long process. And, and he says this, he says, uh, the, the, the end of forgiveness, this process of forgiveness, the end of forgiveness ultimately is not up to us. Only the beginning is. Meaning we don't know how long the process will take to truly 
forgive, to truly weed out all those roots of bitterness, all those roots of resentment and anger in our heart. But choosing to forgive, choosing each day to replace that with the goodness of God, that is in our power. That is in our ability. I'd like us to bring us to another author, a theologian by the name of Klein Snodgrass. And he says this, you can read this with me. He says, this text, he's talking about Matthew 18, 21 through 35, as we just read. This text is a clear example of the tension between two or more truths that are always present in Christian theology. The community cannot tolerate sin without confrontation and reproof, but must always love and forgive without limits. Right? Jesus said 77 times. Like there's no limit to how you are to forgive. But just before that, you are to confront your brother. He goes on to say this, the biblical and Jewish traditions do not feel the tension we feel between reproof and love. Rebuke of the neighbor and love of the neighbor stand together. They stand together next in the text. They stand together. Our brothers and sisters from 2000 years ago are actually way ahead of us on this because this is not easily reconcilable in our minds how you can truly rebuke someone, but then also show them love and forgiveness at the same time. Because in our minds, the one would cancel the other out. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. They actually, they work. What? They work together. They work together. Lastly, he says this, the parable prevents any presuming on grace. The church, we would be a part of, often presented a grace that did not have to be taken seriously, this cheap grace, which is throw it around flippantly. It doesn't actually change anything, but this is what he says. Biblical grace is transforming grace. And when you get the gift, you get the giver who does not let you go on your own way. When you get the gift, you get the giver. How do you forgive someone from the heart? You can't forgive someone from the heart with a heart that has not been transformed by the grace of God, by a heart that has come to grips with the overwhelming debt that has been paid through Jesus Christ on your behalf. And when you understand that you are forgiven, you understand that you get the forgiver. And what does this, this, this giver offer? What does the forgiven, what does the forgiver offer us? Psalm, uh, Psalms really helps us understand this well. Psalm 103, read this on the screen with me. Psalm 103, starting in verse eight, says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger, for, anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. Can I just pause for a second? This is where our 21st century scientific minds can really ruin scripture. We know how many miles uh, the atmosphere is above the earth. We know how many miles it is away to the moon, the sun, the next solar system, et cetera, et cetera. When this was written, 
it was unfathomable how far away it was. This is his love for us. This is his compassion for us. It's just unfathomable how high it is. And then we read this. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. And again, in our minds, we're like, wait, the earth is a globe. And so eventually if you go east and west, they meet. So how can this make sense? We put ourselves in the mind of the early Jewish listener in this text and we realize they don't know that the earth is round when they're writing this. They know that if you go as far that way, it's infinite. And if you go as far that way, this is as far as he's placed our transgressions from us. And we go back to what Jesus said. This is what forgiveness is. I've canceled your debt. I've, I've, I've set it aside is what the word means. And it's not just setting it aside next to us to remind us of it. No, he separates it as far as the East is from the West. Verse 13, as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. How we forgive from the heart is that we understand that when we are forgiven, we get the forgiver. And because we have Christ in us, we have the ability, we have the ability to forgive. So let me just say a couple points of interest because they're important to note. Just because you forgive someone does not excuse what they've done to you. Just because you forgive somebody does not mean that there doesn't need to be any consequences, that there doesn't need to be any new boundaries. Just because you have forgiven someone doesn't mean that the effects of whatever is done will not linger, maybe even for the rest of your life. but we are called to forgive without limits. Not, not in a way that excuses anything that the Bible wouldn't want us to excuse, but in a way that gives everything that the giver gives us, what we just read in the Psalm. So ultimately, what's the difference? I think we have to ask, what's the difference between what the world offers in forgiveness and what Christ offers in forgiveness? What's his hot take? Well, the world would say, why should you forgive? They would answer that question. Why should you forgive? You should forgive because it's a healthier lifestyle for you. And that's not false. How do you forgive? The world would say, well, you forgive once an account has been settled. Or perhaps... You forgive because you're in a place of authority and, and, you, and, you, and you bestow on the person your mercy. And it's this place of authority over them that they owe you something. And so you are gracious and kind and you put yourself in the king's seat. Jesus' take is a little different. Jesus says, why do you forgive? You forgive because you're forgiven. And so then how do you forgive? You forgive because you've forgiven. And when you realize you're forgiven, you realize that you are in a place of humility, of complete gratitude. And that the ultimate strength move is not lording over someone's account over them. 
lording someone's debt over them. That is not the ultimate strength move. The ultimate power move, the ultimate strength move is to show compassion, to enter into the hard work, uh, to root out all the bitterness in your life so that you can live at peace as much as you are able to, uh, the apostle Paul says in, in the book of Romans. As much as it depends on you, live it, live it with peace. Because when you're forgiven, you get the forgiver. And when the forgiver lives inside of you, there is no debt that is too big to be forgiven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to wrap our minds around how we are forgiven. Help us to understand the, the depth of, uh, of your forgiveness towards us, your love for us, so that we, with a new posture of humility, can forgive others. And help us to wrestle with this question of just who do we need to forgive? And may one of the best stories of forgiveness we have in 2022 be a story of forgiveness that you work through each one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.